Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. Welcome back. We're here today with Herb Cox, one of my all-time favorite administrators. He is all Texas. If you've met Herb, you know that Texas is an expert on all things smoked meat and kids and Texas. And so it's a huge privilege to be able to work alongside him here at Baylor University. He spent 29 years as a teacher, coach, and administrator. He was also the president of the Texas Association for Secondary School Principals. He most importantly to me as a parent of a middle schooler, whenever I pulled up to drop my kid off, he was always out greeting kids and parents every morning on car duty, rain or shine, no matter how cold or warm it got. And so now he works with me in the MA for school leadership here at Baylor University and teaches a number of our classes and supervises all of the clinical side of what our leaders do. So he's all over the country and all over Texas seeing amazing things happening as our emerging leaders step into leadership alongside amazing administrators. So it's great to have Herb here today. And I just want to, as I welcome you in Herb, if you could just tell us a little bit about your calling to schools first, and then your calling to Baylor and, and why you're here in this office with me today. Yeah. Thanks, John, for having me. What a what an honor and a privilege. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. I feel uh, pretty special to be part of one like this. So my original calling. So I came to Baylor University because my dad graduated from Baylor uh, and my wife and I had gotten married between my freshman and sophomore year in college. We had both gone to, to a junior college and I transferred into Baylor as a pre-law student. Uh, my parents had a rough time. Uh, financially, when I was growing up, we grew up poor. Mm. I mean, we grew up, we weren't dirt poor, but we were like uh, one one slight notch above that. Uh, ate a lot of rice and beans, ate a lot of cornbread and beans. I just thought it was my dad's favorite dinner. I've had <laughs> spam in every imaginable configuration uh, known to man. And when I came to Baylor, I was going to be pre-law. And I had heard that attorneys could bill by the hour. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be filthy rich. I was going to make uh, money by the bucket load. And then you realize you could make more money in education? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> kind of how that went. I was uh, – my wife and I were, were in an apartment over here on Spate Street. And it was about 10.30 one night my sophomore year. Man, I was at my dream school. I only applied to one school as Baylor. And it's the only place I ever wanted to go. And I got in, and I hated it here. Mm. Hated all my classes. I didn't like most of my professors. Mm. I was making a couple of Ds. Mm. I never made a D in my life. And this was costing us money. (laughs) And uh, God dealt with me one night. It was about uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock one night. I couldn't sleep. And I got up, and, and I sat on the edge of the bed, and I said, God, what am I doing here? And he answered me. And I didn't expect that. And I think sometimes we... We take that for granted. Mm. We talk to God, but we forget to listen. Yeah. And God said, uh, I want you to be a teacher and a coach mm. and have the same impact on young people that your teachers and coaches, particularly your coaches, had on you as a young man. Now, don't don't misunderstand. My dad was present, but my dad would tell me, don't smoke and don't drink. And I'd go, do whatever I want. 
My coach would say, hey, don't smoke and don't drink. Oh, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. I did what my coaches would say, even when it was exactly what my dad was telling me to do. But he and I just butted heads. We were Mm -hmm. were an awful lot alike. Mm -hmm. Um, So I became – I changed majors in in the middle of my sophomore year, and I became a teacher and a coach, and we never really made a whole lot of money. But, you know, it's it's different when you're you're walking in God's call for your life than Mm -hmm. when you're doing whatever you want. Yeah. And it made an incredible difference. It, it changed my life. It changed my whole world. Uh, and I spent the next 29 years as a teacher and a coach and an administrator. Yep. Yeah, I know. And, and so grateful for the work that you did and that you answered that call. I'm very good at telling God what I need and what I hope he'll do. And what I'm even grateful for, I'm terrible at listening. Yeah. So I'm grateful you listened in for all the people yeah. that are listening that have listened to the call, because I don't know why you go into education if it's not a call. So I think I, we, I don't either. we have a dream job here at Baylor. And I love how you talk about it. Like, you know, you only really left school because you got your dream job to come back here to Baylor. So I'm really grateful for that. Herb, if you don't know Herb, is an amazing storyteller. So I asked him if you had a, a story to share, he has thousands of stories to share. If you have a story to share, what would be a story you would share that was somewhat representative maybe of your time as an administrator that is that sticks out to you after 29 years? What's what's one of your many stories that you'd share? So I'm going to tell, I know you just asked for one. I'm going to tell <laughs> two really quick ones. That's great. So at, at the, you know, middle school, middle school's a, it's a <laughs> tough time in the world. Your, your yeah. middle school years, I remember my middle school years, I got bullied mercilessly as a seventh grader eighth grade was better ninth grade was the worst year of my life i got picked up by all the seniors my mom and dad taught in the same school uh so i had that mindset when i was in the middle school level to take care of those kids that were on the edge those mm-hmm. kids that were marginalized those kids that just kind of kept their head down and and you know prayed that nobody smacked them around in middle school right. those were my those were my kids um, and so two things at the end of the very first day of school, we'd had three lunches. When I started, we had four lunches, you know, you got 1,325 kids. You got a cafeteria that seats about 500. You got to be creative. And so we would have all these different lunch periods. And I would send out an email at the end of the first day of school, dear parents, great first day, a lot of cool things, got to meet a lot of nice kids. Let me know if your students sat by themselves at lunch today so that I can find them a friend in their lunch or. If, if if need be, we'll change your schedules tomorrow. But I want everybody in this middle school to have somebody to sit with at lunch. You have, and I didn't really know. I was just looking out for kids. That blew up on us. Uh, parents would call in tears, thanking, uh, thanking us for making that move. And our admin team was so quick to um, get to know their kids personally. Even though we had a lot of kids, they'd get to know them by name. Um and place them with their friends. And that, that made a huge, made a huge impact, I think, on the lives of our kids. And the second story I'll tell you is at parent night, which is always a, a crapshoot. You don't know who, <laughs> you don't know how that's going to go. Right, right. Uh, they could be, it's like two, three weeks into school. They could be angry already. Right. They could be upset. You don't know what's going to walk in your door for parent night. So I would start out with like, I don't know, eight or 900 parents would show up. Uh, in the uh, Performing Arts Center. And I would be on stage while all the teachers in our classrooms getting ready. And I would make this statement to them. I said, look, middle school is a tough gig. I said, but I want you to know we're not here to to, um, supplant you. We're here to supplement you. We're not their parents or their guardians. You are. Those are your kids. But the statement I made was, but I want you to know when they step foot on this campus, they became our kids. They become my kids. 
We're going to teach them as if they were mine. I'm going to hold them to highest expectations as if they were mine. I'm going to discipline them as if they were mine. And most importantly, and I want you to hear this from me, I'm going to love these kids just as if they were mine. Yeah. And then I'd send them off to their classrooms and off they'd go. Since I made those statements and I made them nine years in a row exactly the same way, to this day, particularly after I came to Baylor, people I don't even know will see me in Penland or see me in, at Starbucks at Moody and say, hey, uh, you don't know me, but my kid was a seventh grader in your campus you yeah. know, several years ago. They're now a junior at Baylor. I'm like, okay, I'm getting old. And, <laughs> yeah. and they would look at me with tears in their eyes, and they would tell me, the night that you told us that you would love our kids, it made us feel like our kids were going to be in a safe place and you were going to take yeah. care of them. And I have heard that dozens of times. Yeah. yeah. So I think that I think parents want to know you you care about their kids. No, that's when right. You send them to your school. That's right. Well, I, I will have to say my first interaction with you was via email responding to that. We had a brand new eighth grader that. that moved in uh, because I moved to Baylor from Chicago and. She had an interesting first lunch. She hadn't eaten alone, but it was a tough situation. I just emailed, hey, you know, my daughter didn't eat alone, but I'm just trying to figure out, you know, how, what your policy is here, how this works. And you emailed right back. And I was so impressed because it was, that's a huge middle school that you were overseeing. It was only two grades, but it feeds a 6A high school. And that was yeah. the only middle school at the time. So I was immediately impressed by the fact that there's an administrator that cared enough about each kid to do that. And so that's where we focus all our work here. You teach for justice and flourishing by doing that, not for some kids or all kids, but for each kid. And I saw you do that. And when you said they're our kids, when they come in the building, you communicate that through those emails and then actually following up, which is, you know, it's one thing if people send those emails out, it's another thing if you send them out and then do something. And so I think that's pretty powerful. So now that you get to go out and supervise all of these emerging leaders all over the state and even around the country, what's one of, what is one thing that's really encouraging to you that you're seeing? And we hear a lot of negative things about schools, but what is something you see happening now? You've been Baylor for two years that's happening now that maybe wasn't happening uh, even when you were still an administrator. Yeah, no, I, I see lots of different things. And I think most of them were going on when I was there. Okay. You know, we all lived through the COVID times right. where everybody was just, oh my gosh, I want to forget. I just want to forget <laughs> that we ever lived through that period of time in my life. Um, but what I'm seeing now is a, a re-energizing okay. uh, of our of our candidates that want to be. So, so you and I started this program together. Where we wanted, where we went out recruiting in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, <laughs> right? People that want to be administrators. Yep. Who in their right mind wants to be an administrator ever <laughs> on in a on on in a good situation? Yeah. Let alone in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. And we have had you know been wildly successful recruiting just some incredible people. But what I see from our candidates in the field is they are they are energized to the task. They are yeah. they are focused on the work, and the work is as you mentioned, reaching each kid. Yeah. Um, and not labeling kids and not saying, well, this group of kids, they're the bad kids or they're the poor kids or they're the wrong kinds of kids or these don't, these kids don't fit with the other kids. Uh, the thing that used to make me mad was, you know, teachers would label a group. Oh, we call them the sweet, you know, we call them the pink group, um, cause they're sweet and low. Uh, and I just, man, that hurt my heart when I would hear teachers talk about their kids like that. I'm not, I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing I'm seeing an energy and I'm seeing a love and I'm seeing a lot of exhausted teachers at this right. time of year. Right. 
who continually to remind themselves of their call. Right. And that's what centers them. And that's, that's what good. refocuses and brings them back to the work. What do you see is the most challenging thing that administrators and teachers are facing now coming out of COVID and, and realizing not all of that has gone away because there's residual learning yeah. loss. There are these other pieces there that are still remaining, but what do you see as the most challenging thing that they're facing right now? Yeah, boy, I see a, a handful of things. You know, there was a point when COVID began, parents were like, Oh my gosh, how do teachers do this all day, every day? Right. I've got three kids and they're my own and I can't stand them. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got a school full of full of kids that aren't their own, and, and they love them and teach them. Right, right. And this is hard work. And suddenly, you know, so teachers were were elevated to the status of of superhero. And then we went back to school, mm. and the tables turned. Everything mm. changed. We've been demonized by our own our own state government because of national political policies are demonizing teachers as mm. groomers and pedophiles, and there's book banning, and there's all of these. All of these attacks that are coming mm. at teachers from every different direction, and it just uh, it 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 hurts my feelings, which I have to get over. I mean, I got to be I got to be stronger than that. You've got to overcome those things, but it hurts me to see our teachers being mm. demonized mm. at every level. the The level of respect, and I'll give you an example. When I got in trouble at school, I'd get in trouble at home. Yeah. When I when kids now get in trouble at school, and you call the parents, something well, not my kid. Mm. And I said, well, um, it actually is your kid. He just confessed to me. Well, that was coerced. Well, I have him on um, video. Well, I'm coming up there. I want to see that video. And I show him the video and they go, that's not my kid. I'm like, he's wearing the same clothes as he's got on right now. That's your kid. Well, you doctored the video. No, we didn't doctor the video. We would just get hammered trying to hold these kids Mm. responsible for their own behavior. And I think, I think teachers that wears, that wears teachers Mm. down. It's Mm. like, they're just. They're fighting almost an unwinnable battle. We've got to get back to that point where TEA describes this as a partnership. Mm-hmm. Teachers and parents are mm-hmm. partners in the education of their children. Yeah. It's not us against them. We got to get back to that somehow. Right. And I feel like that some of that has gone away in the last couple of years. Yeah. And we don't love kids well when we don't hold them accountable and set right. clear boundaries so they can be safe. And so exactly. I that know was, you know that. It's one of the things I said we're going to discipline like them like they were ours. Yeah. And right. we're going to love them like they're ours. That's right. That's right. So what's something innovative that you're seeing that you're like, hey, this is this looks like it may have some potential. So you know we hear a lot about chat GPT and these other things and teachers are trying to figure out is this a blessing or curse and how do we know what's a kid's work and what isn't but what are some things that doesn't have to be technological innovation but what's something that you're seeing in, in approaches to leadership or teaching that you're like yeah. hey that there, there may be some promise there yeah so you you talked earlier you mentioned the the learning gap or the academic gap that we hear so much about what i have seen is a return to um, back to the basics that tier one instruction for each kid everybody gets taught the tier one level in RTI, the, the response to intervention, um, the teaching level has intensified mm. for all of those kids in the classroom. Now, when there's a glaring uh, gap or, or, or something's missing, a missing piece somewhere, then the teachers can level up to tier two yeah. and then eventually tier three and maybe have them have them uh, tested for special, whatever their services, 504, whatever services they need to provide. But I'm seeing that return to Good. that baseline of just tier one 
hardcore, good instruction yeah. that teaches every single student in your classroom. That's right, right. Not wait to fail, which is, right. yeah, that, that, that's not a great model. So what makes you most hopeful about the work we're doing through the Baylor Center for School Leadership or the Department of Education Leadership through our MA, the EDD, through the kind of services and professional learning we provide? We do culture of joy events. We do the academies. Yeah. We do these networks all over the world. And we're in 30 countries now. We've got educators going through just teaching in Afghanistan mm-hmm. right now. Now, in India and in all these it's it's amazing what what's yeah. happening but we you know we don't always get to see the fruits of it so yeah. what makes you most hopeful about the work we're doing right now so I want to touch quickly talk about we don't get to see the fruits of that as a middle school principal I seldom see how they turn out right right uh, we got a two-year window we do the best we can you pour your heart and soul into these kids and then most of them you never see them again right uh, some of them I'm seeing as sophomores and juniors at Baylor and it makes me feel old, but they come back and Hey, Dr. Cox, I'm like, you're going to have to tell me your name. You used to be like four foot, you know, four foot, nothing. Um, and your voice was an octave higher and, and no beard. I don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of cool. But the thing that gives me, oh, the thing that gives me the most hope is the work, the work that we do. This yeah. is education. Education is the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. I don't care who your mom and daddy are. I don't care how much money they've got in the bank. I don't care where you live. Education is the most important, powerful thing that can impact your life. We're changing the trajectory of kids' lives with the education that we provide. And I feel like we're doing that at such a, a strong level at, at the vast majority of our schools. Again, schools are under attack. You hear that schools are failing. Um and I've just not, I've in my oh, in my low these many years, I have seen only a handful of schools that I might say were failing, mm-hmm. and I have seen hundreds, if not thousands, of schools that are literally changing kids' lives, mm-hmm. and they do it on the daily. Mm-hmm. It's not like we do it for star testing. Yeah. Uh, we do it for end of the year banquets. Oh, we do it during football season so we can keep them eligible. We change kids' lives every single day that these teachers show up. Yeah, love that. So this is what I like to call our lightning round. It's totally stolen this from Adam Grant's podcast because mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, four questions for you. You answer in a word or a phrase. Okay. So, and for a storyteller, that's a legitimate challenge. So yeah. what is the worst advice you've ever received as an educator? Oh, the worst advice was uh, stop taking things personally. <laughs> um, I used to, in interviews, I used to say that was one of my strengths. I, I, I take everything personally and I realized that that's really one of my weaknesses. I have to stop taking things personally. Mm. It's not about me. Mm. It's gotta be all about mm. those kids. Yeah. Period. Yeah. it's good. What's the best piece of advice you've ever given or received? Best piece of advice ever. Oh my gosh. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart and all your soul. All your strength and all your might. That's how. That's how I served as a public school administrator. Uh, it's tough to tough to beat that advice because you know I know for me as a human being I get in the way of that, and if I'm not in right relationship with God, I'm not doing a great job loving my neighbor, and so those two have to be paired together. My, my drive to work at Midway Middle School the last nine years was about twelve minutes. Yep. And that was 12 minutes that I would clothe myself in prayer yep. uh, before I walked in that back door. Because if you, without that foundation, I don't know. I don't know. First of all, I don't know how people make it in the world. Yeah. And I certainly don't know how you walk in the back door of a middle school uh, <laughs> with, with any sort of confidence at all, unless you are 
or covered in the power of prayer. You are walking into a foreign country and mission field every day. <laughs> never, so, mission field is, that, is the appropriate term. That's right. And not in a proselytizing sense, in a loving kids, yeah. well, who sometimes you're the one person that's an adult that's going to show yeah. them love that day. And yeah. that's, that's pretty powerful. All right. So, what's one word you would descri- use to describe the 2022-2023 school year? I think for me that that is uh, hope. Okay. I just have I just have so much hope in in the work that I'm seeing in the field amongst our candidates. We're we're about to be three cohorts deep into this thing, and it has been it's already been an amazing ride. I can't wait to see where this thing takes us. And we got 92 leaders in. It's yeah. the biggest master's program in the school of ed, yeah. and it's a blessing to get to work alongside them. We've got. Leaders coming from Canada and Indonesia this year. So, in yeah. addition to all of our U.S. candidates, it's Indonesia—that's like East Texas. Right? <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's what. Yes, well said. And then you already picked hope for this year, but if you had to pick a word for 2023, 2024, what would you want the word to be at the end of that year to describe that school year? I think as we enter these times that we're in right now, I think that word has to be ruthless. Mm we cannot let anybody keep us from the work. Mm. And the work is we change kids' lives. Mm. We don't teach. I don't teach history. I don't, I wasn't an administrator. We are in the business of changing lives, either for the good, for the better, for the worse. And uh, I think our call is to, change kids lives for the better and we must be we got to be ruth don't let anybody stop you we got to be ruthless about that well c.s lewis has this great line and i think it's in the weight of glory but you've never met a mere mortal um Mm -hmm. it's you know all the institutions they pass away baylor will be gone in eternity but the individuals are eternal and they're either everlasting splendors or Oh, what's the, um, eternal horrors, I think is the mm-hmm. other. So you either are speaking life into that kid's life or you're not. You're either giving joy or you're stealing joy. And so that's our call. And that's the great blessing to be educators that get to walk alongside the students that we serve. We serve adults now. We serve yeah. leaders who go out and serve other leaders and who then serve kids. Yeah. And so that's our job to speak life because yeah. that's the eternal calling we have. And if, if, do we have another second? Yeah, or two? Yeah, yeah, so definitely. that thing that you just hit on, when I was called to be a teacher and a coach, I was able to impact all of the students within four walls of my classroom. Uh, later, I, I came back into education as an administrator, which I swore I would never do. Be careful what you swear you will never do. <laughs> God may have other plans. I came in as an administrator, and I was able to impact all of the students and all of the teachers within the four walls of an entire school building. And the last middle school I was in was huge. It's bigger than my hometown. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a big campus with a lot of people. What you and I have been led to do at this point is to empower other leaders to go out and to teach kids that have not yet been born. Yeah. There are students that the right. leaders that we empower and impact will impact five or six or 10 years down the road after I'm long gone. Right. Uh, and some of the, one of these days when I'm dead and buried, there will still be an impact being made. And that is almost overwhelming to me at, mm-hmm. at times, but it's also so powerful. I'm just so blessed that God has brought me to my beloved Baylor University uh, to finish up my career, empowering the next generation of school leaders. Right. 
All right. Thanks for being with us, Herb. I'm grateful to partner with you in this work. It's a blessing. Always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. I just went back and listened to that interview with Herb, and I realized at the beginning of the interview, I have a Freudian slip where I think I actually refer to Herb as Texas. Uh, Herb represents all that is uh, good about Texas. I love how he talks about loving each kid and the way he does that through the phone calls home to parents, to the email, letting them know that if your kid's eating alone, he's there for them. So he has these tangible ways of expressing this love and concern. And it's just a great reminder that what we do has these eternal ripples that we will not see uh, this side of heaven. And it's a huge blessing to be able to serve alongside Herb as he pours into leaders and offers encouragement and helps them become better leaders so that they can help the kids they serve become more of who they were created to be. So it's just a great reminder in the profession that makes all others possible that it's about a lot more than just building uh, professionals. It's about pouring into human beings. So as this year winds down, I just pray that you enjoy this week uh, serving in a profession that's unlike any other and that you just would feel the goodness of that work in your time. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. Join us for our Just Schools Academy this June, where we will use Dr. Eckert's book, Just Teaching, to do better work together.